Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to episode three of Shoot Your Shot. This is yours truly, your host, Fuad Floyd Kadora. Um, so yeah, moving on, I wanted to kind of finish off on the last tones that I was touching on in the previous episode I just recorded. Um, I wanted to keep talking about how the Lakers' woes are been going on. I wanted to touch a little bit more about the top teams and how they're doing so far after All-Star break in a little bit more detail than I discussed in my previous episode. And then finally, I want to touch off on a little bit of how the Raptors are doing, how Scotty Barnes is kind of making his push to kind of get that little Rookie of the Year award, you know, on his uh, mantle of awards furiously to come. Uh, how players like uh, KD and LeBron are praising Scotty a lot and how we kind of lucked out on uh, picking him over uh, <laughs> Jalen Suggs, who is struggling mightily right now. And then I'd like to leave this episode off with um, a little bit of the personal development stuff I've been talking about, because that's what this uh, podcast is about. And uh, yeah, so let's get right into this episode. So picking off where I was leaving off with the last uh Last part of this in episode two, so we were talking about why Wayne Ellington isn't getting a lot of like playing time with the Lakers. I honestly blame that on Frank Vogel. I feel like the guy's been really in his head after his job was on the line and after he's been dealing with the entire AD made out of glass injury situations. He's just been over-relying on LeBron to take him home every night. But even at 37, there's only so many physical like boundaries to the abilities you might possess, even if you're the best player in the world with the biggest longevity window compared to anyone else. You're still going to have your limits because we're all human at the end of the day. So I think that Vogel is relying way too much on a 37-year-old LeBron, even though he's kind of leading the league in scoring almost, trailing Joel Embiid by like 0.2 points a game. I honestly am rooting for LeBron to take home the scoring title. He deserves it. He's been the only reason that the Lakers are pretty much in 15th place in the Western Conference. And that's really sad because, honestly, I think the Lakers would have been a better team if they had never traded for AD um, in terms of, like, the people they had now. So, like, if they had Lonzo, Kuzma now without trading for AB, KCP, Caruso now, they would be a better LeBron-led team because those players would have grown into their shoes known their roles and known how to play with LeBron or they could have traded AD for less to give away or they could have not done the Russell Westbrook trade so like the AD trade was good because it led to a championship but they gave a little bit too much but then they gave up a lot way too much when it came to the Russell Westbrook trade which didn't help that their team was already kind of thin um, when it came to the AD trade. So I honestly think if they didn't give up too much with this, with both of these trades, they would be better off now. But now they're relying on too many minimum contracts to play t- like well because it's the Lake Show and stuff when they're realistically just paying three players and then expecting to fill out a 15-player roster with people on minimums that ex- deserve and expect to play for more money and honestly should. So, yeah, it's just a really not, like, well-managed team at this point. I just think that 
it's it's their funeral honestly like I really really want LeBron to come back and revamp the entire team next year really hoping Russell Westbrook doesn't cash in on his player option of 48 million but honestly with the way he's played my guy is definitely going to cash in on his last ever NBA paycheck because let's be honest he'll be lucky if he's making 15 million after his contract next season with his player option so the only tough part is if he does choose to cash in, I don't know how the hell the Lakers are going to trade him. They should have gotten Buddy Heald in the first place, but now he's been exposed in LA. He has way more um, shade tossed at him. He's getting threats. He's getting a lot of hate from the fans. Uh, he had one good game and then people were like standing behind him against my freaking Raptors where he literally stole the ball from Scotty Barnes out of all people and then ran towards the the right wing and literally just shot a two with his foot on the line. But the refs were like, oh, it's a three. Like, literally everyone in the arena saw the fact that his foot was on the line, and the refs didn't even review it because they called it a three. Like, why couldn't you guys do that with the KD shot against the Bucks? Why did you have to realize that his foot on the line, but not Russell Westbrook's against my Raptors? Like, the guy has one good game, and then the refs choose to bail him out because he gets paid $45 million a year? Like, is that how the NBA works? It's my favorite league. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just asking, is that how it works? Like, is that the way it's supposed to be? Because I disagree with that, and I don't think that should be the case. But yeah, I don't want to spend too much more time on the Lakers. I have a lot left to get into with little minimal time remaining. So basically, the takeaway with the Lakers is Wayne Ellington should play more because y'all need the shooting. <laughs> so yeah, um, moving on to the Heat. They've kind of been doing really well after All-Star break. They've had a really solid record of 9-3, and keeping their top spot in the Eastern Conference with, at the date of this recording, 47 wins and 24 losses. The Bucks being trailing at three games back of the Heat uh, currently. And then the 76ers and Celtics at three and a half games back each. So that's kind of like your top four teams in the East, according to a lot of NBA analysts. But I honestly think that Philly is more of a regular season team this season because I honestly don't believe James Harden is going to come through for them in the playoffs. And I think the Nets are out for revenge, especially against Harden. So I don't think they're going to make it too far. I would kill to see a matchup with the 76ers versus the Nets. That would be an amazing uh, second round matchup or Eastern Conference matchup, whatever the case may be. It would like be it would definitely be must see tv so really hoping that would happen so yeah the heat's been doing really well kind of uh in their own little zone with a lot of shooting a lot of in interior presence with their seven footers with um a bunch of pull-up shooting players like they're kind of uh the perfect balanced team they have point guards which only want to have assists and dish out shots and then shoot off the bounce as well like my guy Kalo taking charges at 35 years old with that thick 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 frame that he has and um yeah so honestly that he's been doing pretty well um a lot of people had them for top four but not many people thought that they would be in the first place spot for this long so 
props to the Heat. Um, definitely your dark horse team coming at you. Um, they're really out for revenge. And uh, speaking of uh, playoff matchups, if they were to face the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals, um, because judging by the fact that they're the one and two seed right now, I don't see any other situation that would be able to happen. So if they both beat up the entire competition, honestly, I'd be fine with the Nets um, losing in the second round or whatever. If it led to that Heat Bucks rematch, because then it would truly become a rivalry because they've been facing each other in the playoffs the past two years consecutively, and this third year would officially make it like beef, especially because the Heat are like out for revenge and blood because they have their entire culture revamped. They have mad shooters, they have pull up shooting, like I mentioned. They have Basically, every person is in the perfect spot for them to showcase their strengths and succeed and help the team cooperate to get the goal of winning. So, like, everyone knows their role super well. Everyone's doing it flawlessly to the best of their ability. Everyone's accepting their roles. They have scorers off the bench and Tyler Hero and Caleb Martin. They're doing really well, and honestly, with a team like that where the ball is always moving, everyone knows their roles, and they have a bunch of all-star caliber players, I definitely see them going far, especially because they're a defensive-minded uh, defensive team with a defense-wins-championships mentality. That's pretty much how we won in 2019 with Kawhi Leonard. So honestly, I definitely see them getting far and I would always root for them because I would definitely want to see my guy Kyle Lowry with another ring, especially because he's kind of a late bloomer success story in the NBA, six time consecutive all star, kind of waited till he was in his late 20s and early 30s to showcase his talents going from like that kind of energy bench player role to that perennial all star starter with the Raptors. Would love my guy to win another chip before he retires in the next few years. So yeah, I kind of wanted to briefly mention Cam Johnson's game winner. Because the one game that Chris Paul and Devin Booker were out, my guy Cameron Johnson showed out with a monster performance. Going off for 38 points and an insane game winner. This guy pulled up on the mother freaking Bucks on the defending championships with an insane three-pointer and it got nothing but net and the guy was riled up because of his like confrontation with the Bucks earlier in the game he was just on a road to victory and no one was standing in his way Honestly, this guy was such a good pickup for the Suns. His stroke is an amazing shooting touch. It gets nothing but net most of the time. He's shooting over 40% for three for the entire season on many attempts. Um, he's honestly such a good player. I'm really happy that he has a system where he can flourish and his talents could be shown off the way they are. And that can only tell you so much when he decides to go out for 38 points when he has one of the best scorers in Devin Booker always playing next to him. So the one game Devin Booker goes out, he takes the entire team on his back and goes off and just basically let makes it rain for the entire game. So really enjoyed that game against the Bucks, And I'd always like to see the Bucks lose because of me being a Raptors fan and... 
sharing that rivalry with them, and then, of course, how I previously discussed last episode, when they beat my Nets to secure the championship, and then beating the Suns, too, so it kind of beats everyone that I'm rooting for to win, so Cam Johnson's game winner made it that much sweeter for me. So yeah, um, moving on, I'd like to l- talk a little bit about how the Warriors are kind of not doing the best, uh, kind of uh, had a 14-24 to 24 record in the last uh, 38 games, so not doing as well as they got off to in terms of getting off to a really good start. Um, that kind of showcases how important Draymond Green is for them because they went on a nine-game winning streak when he was active, and then as soon as he went out with an injury, they went on a five-game losing streak. So that kind of tells you how even though his stats don't really show up in the stat sheet, what he does is super essential in terms of making the team stay afloat and making them maintain one of the top uh, defenses in the entire league. Kind of runs that whole part of the floor and then gives it to Steph, and even runs the offensive uh, part of the floor as much as uh, playmaking and uh, setting up plays and making Steph go around screens and giving him the ball whenever he wants to make him shoot because he's really familiar with Steph's game, so he just makes it easier for him, and he doesn't kind of force Steph to create his own shot every time. He kind of helps him do that for him. So even though his stuff might not always show up in the stat sheet, it definitely like shows how the defensive rating went from about 104 when he was there to down to about 108, 109 when he sat out for when he had his back injury this season. So the Warriors have been struggling. Clay Thompson's been kind of subpar, um, still working his way back into game form. Um, I like the fact that Steph is out now, not because he's out and injured, God forbid. I hope he gets better and makes it back in time for the playoffs, which he is supposed to and is on track to, so that's good. I just like the fact that Clay is going to have a little bit more of a responsibility to show out and kind of force himself to do better and try better. And he has more of an opportunity to do that with Seth being out so he can kind of carry the team on his back. Even though people like Jordan Poole have been stepping up a lot, especially when they were getting blown out the other day, he just personally went on like a 10-0 run by himself, kind of got them back in the game, and then they continued to get blown out. But he was the reason they had a little bit of more hope so I'm really happy that he has uh, him to help him do that. But I really think this is a good opportunity for my guy Clay to kind of get his feet back rolling, get his shooting touch back, and kind of just get his mojo that he's always been used to having. A little bit of uh, more opportunity to work himself back into defensive shape as well. Uh, because Draymond is back on the floor so he can uh, help dictate the defensive pace of the game with his boy Draymond Green. So it's kind of sad to be honest because I came across the stat that said that the Warriors' big three of Draymond, Clay, and Steph were actually on the floor for the first time in about 1,009 days when Steph went down with an injury uh, against the Boston Celtics because the Draymond Green equivalent of the Celtics, Marcus Smart, was diving for a loose ball, which made him land on Steph's ankle. And we all know how Steph is prone to ankle injuries, hence why he wears the ankle braces. 
Um, and for, fortunately, it wasn't a bad injury, so he's not going to be out for that long. It was just a high-degree sprain, nothing tore, nothing um, went really wrong in terms of his ankle. So he's just looking at a pretty bad sprain, which should uh, end up uh, healing in about two to three weeks, and uh, we'll get him back in time for the start of the playoffs. They don't have to deal with the plan, so they have a little bit of time off. So Steph can have some time to work himself back into game shape after taking those few weeks off. However, it raises the flag as to the big three not having shared the floor in over two years together before diving directly into the playoffs. So instead of having a little bit of practice under their belts, they're going to have to kind of... uh, wing it and improvise as they go on to participate and compete in the playoffs which won't be the hardest thing because they are the core big three of the Warriors identity and team stemming back to their beginnings and humble beginnings back in the early 2010s but it definitely doesn't hurt or wouldn't like be bad for them to have some practice beforehand which unfortunately is not the case because every single person was injured at a different time throughout the season and they have been working really hard to integrate themselves back into game shape so obviously that gives you a huge knock on the Warriors uh, seed and kind of playoffs aspirations and um, rankings in terms of them winning the entire thing just because of the lack of continuity and uh, gel time they've had together on the court. So might give rise to a little bit of uh, wacky chemistry issues that normally wouldn't come up because of the lack of playing time they've been exposed to with each other over the past long period of time, which is amounting to over a thousand days. So especially with Clay. Um, I'm really hoping that they make the most out of this playoff push because they started the season out on such a good note. But keep in mind that they will be coming back with blood in their eyes um, and wanting to hunt their championship back next year because hopefully everyone's going to be healthy from the beginning to the end. So really excited to see how this playoff push ends up um, resulting with this season and then what they have in store for the one after it. So I want to move on to the Nets and talk a little bit about the Raptors before getting into the NBA scoring boom on the past few weeks in March. And then I'm going to touch on a little bit of personal development at the end of this podcast. And hopefully you guys aren't bored and are enjoying what I'm discussing so far. And I also want to mention that I've been in contact with a few guests that I would like to have on this podcast. So keep it in your minds that I will be maybe potentially introducing some surprise guests in the next few episodes. So definitely tune in if you're interested in that. So yeah, anyways, moving on wanted to talk about my two favorite teams in the NBA. So in terms of my Raptors and the Nets, because I believe they have the best duo in the NBA, with uh, my boy Kyrie with the crossover and every single dribble move ever, and then KD with his ruthless mid-range. So yeah, um, talking about the Nets, uh, are we going to talk about Kyrie's first 50-point game or KD's 53-point game or Kyrie's 60-point game? 
Yeah, so there's a lot of different games to pick from here. So, yeah, honestly, I just love the way this team rolls, even with the lack of continuity because of Kyrie's part-time status this year. Not going to get into the whole vaccination issue because this isn't a political podcast. Not really a political person, honestly. So... I just, I'm in awe of how this guy went for 50 points against the Hornets to make up for his bad game against the Celtics. Because he, let's be real, he wanted to win the game against the Celtics, but he had a bad performance. He didn't play too well. So my guy came back and scored a 50 piece on 19 shot attempts. Like, do you realize how crazy that is? If not, I will give you some context. He is the third player in NBA history, in the entire league's history, to score 50 with less than 20 field goal attempts. And the other two, big men. Why? Because they were dunking the ball the entire time. Kyrie? No. He took at least 12 threes that game and made nine of them. Like, honestly, if the NBA had a dictionary and the word efficiency was being defined, it would just show you in the direction of this game. Like, this game defines ultra-efficient. The man exploded. Like, he took less than 20 shots and got 50. Oh, my God. I just can't get over that. That's why he's literally one of my favorite players in the entire NBA. It's between him and KD. Like, for celebrity players, at least, we all know I got my guy Kyle Lowry, but my dude's turning 35, so, you know, oh. (laughs) But yeah, Kyrie's 50-ball performance was insane. He was such a good, like, oh my god, I'm, I'm in an awe for words, I'm lost for words. Like, the guy was just scoring and swishing that thing like there was no tomorrow. He did not care what anyone said. Just, like, making history. And then, not being satisfied with that, my guy explodes for against the Magic for 60. And, like, on, on insane efficiency as well. And if Steve Nash didn't pull him out, there was, like, eight minutes left in the fourth. I fundamentally think he would have went as high as Kobe went against the Raptors. Uh, against Jalen uh, Rose. Honestly, like, he definitely could have cracked 81. I wanted him to crack 70. Because, like, 60s, like, it's not, like, you know, your average high-scoring game for a star player. It's pretty rare. But, like, 70, like, never happens. Like, Devin Booker had 70 once in, like, the last, what, five, six, ten seasons. Like, no one scores 70. I think the only times people scored more than 60 or, like, 62, 63 was Devin Booker and Kobe in, like, the 2000s. I might be wrong, but those are the two most high-profile games that went for more than 65 points. Like, honestly, this man Kyrie is from another planet. Maybe that's why he thinks the Earth is flat. He's just an insane scorer, ruthless, ice in his veins, crazy efficiency makes the big game such a beautiful sight to see he's just honestly like one of my favorite players i just love getting an opportunity to watch this guy play and just yeah moving forward we want to talk about how durant and kyrie started four for four and went five for five 
with 11 in the first quarter against their old man, James Harden, after the trade because they basically saw how Harden left and wanted to issue a statement using the ball and putting it through the hoop without missing nine field goals in a row on 11 shots combined in the first quarter, making them go for an insane 11 for 11 against Harden when he started out 1 for 12 throughout a little bit into the second quarter. Sounds like your basic James Harden under high-pressure situations where he basically disappears, for the lack of a better phrase, because he's not cut out of that cloth that Durant and Kyrie are. And he basically showed them that they lost that end of the trade because they went off and flamed him and blew his team out when he was on an insane winning streak after joining the Philadelphia 76ers. So that's why Durant and Kyrie are such a good pair together, because they know how to play together better than Harden, because Harden basically tries to control the entire pace of the game, tries to get a lot of assists and rebounds and stat pad, whereas Kyrie and Durant focus way more on what the game actually needs out of them, rather than what the stat sheet does. In essence, Kyrie and KD destroyed Harden. You could tell ever since the All-Star draft that KD was pissed and kind of irritated by Harden's whole demeanor with the entire trade situation because I don't like the way Harden left and found his exit certificate per se from Houston or from Brooklyn because he basically forced his way out by forcing himself to play like shit which led to the organization basically wanting to get the most in return for him because they knew that he was going to leave regardless at some point and better to get some stuff in return for him rather than to let him go as is for nothing. Especially when you kind of let go of half of your team's depth for him in the first place. We all knew that it would be a very guard-centric big three, but at the same time, it was the best offensive big three of all time. So the Nets had to crack the trade to kind of see it out, try it out, see what would happen, essentially, if they tried it out. And then it resulted in them getting quite a good return for it to fit their needs, especially. And uh, Harden got his way with things which left uh, KD and Kyrie pretty salty, as we could tell from their performances against them in Philly. It was such a good game. Honestly, Durant and Kyrie lit it up the whole game. Ben Simmons, I, I really hope, understood that he doesn't really have to do much but lead fast breaks and play make. He doesn't have to shoot. He has a team full of shooters behind him. He just has to do what he's good at and is getting paid a rookie max contract for, I don't know why Philly gave it to him, but he's getting a rookie max to essentially rebound, pass, and dunk. So if I was 6'10", and I was paid $45 million, or not 45 like about $30 million a year to pass, um, rebound, and dunk, I would be pretty happy with my life, but... Ben Simmons is um, suffering from mental roadblocks, preventing him from coming back, which is associated with an L4 disc back injury, to also prevent him from coming back because of the way he left his previous team. 
But honestly, that's an entire topic for discussion for another podcast. Because if I were to get into it right now, I wouldn't stop talking. So let's keep talking about how Kyrie and Katie are lighting it up. So basically, Kyrie drops 50 against the Hornets. And then Katie's like, hold up, bro, I'm KD. So he drops 53 against the Knicks. And then Kyrie is like, oh, do you want me to one-up you too? And then he goes for a career high for 60 on 64% shooting from the freaking field. Like, how do you go for 60 points on 64% from the field? And then 66 from three. The man dropped 66% from three for a 60-piece. Like, that's insane. How can you dribble, create your own shot, cross people over, and do that stuff so efficiently? And then this man wasn't even included on the top 75 list purely because of his availability reasons. Like, Damian Lillard, who's another one of my favorite players, was on that list. I'm guessing primarily because he was responsible for two series-ending shots in the playoffs, but... Honestly, I fundamentally believe that Kyrie is a better player than Dame, even though Dame is a ruthless scorer. So yeah, um, the Nets have kind of been going on a crazy tear in terms of personal competition. They're winning crazy games. Uh, the game against the Mavs was insane with Dinwiddie's shot as we got into that last episode. Honestly, but I feel like they're doing well. They're stuck in that eighth spot, so they're going to have to either battle out with the Raptors or the Cleveland Cavaliers, depending on the rankings at the end of the season. And then if they fail to do that, they have another shot against the Hornets or the Hawks. I just really hope they don't go against my Raptors because I want us to solidify against... uh, like uh, in the playoffs, in the 60th standings, and I want Kyrie to be able to play against um, one or the Cavs or the Raptors because he won't be able to play against the Raptors because of the vaccine stuff. But he's going to be able to play in Cleveland. And I feel like he would play better in Cleveland because he played there and won a championship. So he's pretty friendly with the rims over there, familiar with the whole court. So, honestly, um, I think the Nets are going to be fine regardless because they have two opportunities at the play-in tournament because of their higher seeding status. So, if they lose against the Cavs or the Raps the first time around, then they can either beat the Hornets or the Hawks, depending on who wins that matchup. Um, Honestly, you don't want to be in that situation, but they have two of the best scorers in the world, so I think they're going to be okay. And if they miss the playoffs, then honestly, that's that much more... Um, fire, heat, or whatever you want to call it for them to come back next year with that much more. So, yeah, it was kind of weird that they went on a 10-game losing streak in the middle with Harden kind of taking care of the team or lack thereof. But, yeah. So, moving on to the Raptors because I want to leave a little bit of time at the end of this podcast for personal development talk. Um, They have been on a tear um let's just kind of start off by prefacing that lakers game in uh the crypto.com arena as of recently um 30 to 6 in the first quarter excuse me scotty barnes six for six out of the field to start like seriously is that what's happening right now is that what's happening with the lakers and then when they come back to play us on our home floor at the um, scotiabank arena the Lakers basically are 
keeping up for most of the game, which wasn't the case when we were in Crypto.com Arena. And then they get the luckiest two-pointer to fall with Russ pulling up out of everyone. Out of a BS deal he took from Scotty's lunch money. And then the refs rule it a three, and then we lose an OT because we shouldn't have been there in the first place. But hey, the Lakers needed the win. We didn't really, so more power to you. Kind of a little weird watching games like that because I'm a fan of both teams, and I'm like kind of conflicted on which team to root for, but that's what makes up for the best basketball. So really, really fun to be partaking in that and having the privilege to talk about it with fellow listeners after. So yeah, um, the Raptors are kind of doing really well right now. Um, They've been doing pretty well after All-Star break with a solid, solid record with about eight wins and six losses post-All-Star. So one of the more winning teams, you could say, especially with uh, our boy All-Star, Freddy, Freddy, very, very Freddy, Freddy, steady, steady. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so FVV has kind of been sitting out because he's been dealing with a knee injury all year. So honestly, he deserves the rest. He was kind of keeping up when everyone was kind of slacking. So now he has the opportunity to rest while everyone picks back up for him. And uh, we also went on a five-road game win streak for the first time in franchise history, all against Western teams in the Western Conference trip that we went on recently. So that was very, very cool to be able to witness a moment of history with the Raptors franchise, especially during a season in which we're not doing that well to begin with. So we started off the season pretty shaky. However, it was really nice to be able to dominate that Western Conference trip, especially against both Laker teams, teams like the Nuggets. We actually beat the Phoenix Suns, which is insane, judging by their record and how they're playing this year. And then the Spurs. It's not the biggest flex, but hey. And then we also beat the 76ers, which is amazing because I'm not a huge fan of James Harden right now. And honestly... They've been too full of themselves. They needed some humbling and wake-up calls. And what better team to deliver that than your very own Raptors? So yeah, um, that's basically my little summary of the Raptors. Um, honestly, I'm not expecting too much. I just, I'm really happy with all the experience our guys are getting this season because we're kind of a shaky bunch, but I see our vision towards the future by basically having um, four out of five players be 6'9", wings essentially, that could dribble and shoot the three with our boy FVV running point, dribbling and setting people up and shooting crazy threes. So it's a really good lineup and future vision for the Raptors organization moving forward. Also, I want to briefly discuss my boy Armani Brooks. He is such a good pickup. He basically is a bucket from deep. He had really, really important buckets against the Philadelphia 76ers last game from deep, just pulling up like it was nothing. Now, let's be honest, his stats are not the best in terms of shooting, but 
I don't care. He is a rookie. He has time to develop his shot. He already has a sweet stroke and he comes in clutch when it matters, which is the most important thing in today's NBA. So judging by that, he is a good pickup. He fits in perfectly with our lineup and I'm really happy we picked him up from Houston because let's be honest, he could do way more well here than he could have done back there. Judging by how much of an, in a shamble and mess they are in right now, focusing on their uh, Jalen Green second round pick and so on and so forth. So I'm really happy that he'll be able to enter our player development program and focus on his skill set after then. So now I want to briefly get into the scoring boom that's been circulating in the NBA and end off with a little personal development section for you guys who stuck around till the end, who actually care about the experience I have to share with you guys. So in terms of the scoring boom, little fact to be known that the last month with more 50-point games in the NBA was nearly six, um, not years, but decades ago in December of 1962. There were nine of them, and six of them, uh, there were nine of them in the month. And then six of them, of the nine that we mentioned, were by Wilt Chamberlain, and the other three were by Elgin Baylor. So by two players, and nine of them within the month. Chamberlain had eight by himself in that October. He made 50-point nights kind of look ordinary back in those days because he's freaking wilts. But yeah, so you can clearly see that the NBA nowadays is way more fast-paced and focused on scoring, and there has been a general scoring boom shaping up in the 2010s leading to the 2020s. However, this March of 2022 in the 2021-22 season has been an insane exception and anomaly in terms of the entire landscape and history of this entire league that we're all fans of, so it would be foolish to have a basketball podcast and not discuss this insane scoring streak that's been going on it's like the nba's best stars are kind of personally competing against one another as michael jordan likes to personally say uh, i took that personally so i feel like these players are kind of basically going against one another to prove that the league belongs to them and to prove that they, if they wanted, could actually go for 50 points if they took 25 to 30 shots every night. But that's not the most practical way to actually run an offense, so they don't. But in games where the offense might be a little bit more stagnant, the half-court offense isn't picking up, and some guy is on fire, they usually try to do their best to find him and feed him the ball so he can keep scoring as long as he's shooting in an efficient manner and actually getting the buckets that they want to get. So, just to preface this, there have been an insane 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, not 6, not 7, not 8. Yeah, LeBron, you only got two chips, for those of you who get that reference. So, there was a mere 8 and going on 9 insane 50 plus, not 40 plus, not 45 plus, 50 plus point performances in this month alone, you can kind of sense that the playoffs are coming up, can't you? So it all started with uh, our 37-year-old guy who's uh, kind of going for a scoring title this year. You might know him. His name's LeBron James. He dropped 56 against the freaking Warriors. And then Jason Tatum, right the next day, was like, oh, hey, 
Remember how you scored uh, 56 against the Warriors and made a statement and made everyone remember who you are? Well, I'm Jason Tatum, and I'm, a, I'm an up-and-coming star. So he waited one day, and instead of on the, 5th, on the 6th of March, went for his own 54 points against the Nets, another really good team. And it's not like they're doing this against, like, really bad teams. LeBron did it against the Warriors on 31 field goal attempts not too much not bad at all he actually shot really well 19 for 31 and Jason Tatum did it on 30 field goal attempts which is very good as well over 50% shooting and then the anomaly that I touched on earlier my guy the exception to every rule the guy that defies the laws of physics and the laws of basketball in 37 minutes my guy went for 50 on 19 shot attempts. I just can't get over that. That's insane. That is a record to be broken never, basically. And then LeBron James basically was like, oh, hey, remember when I was with you and I scored 41 in game six of the 2016 finals where we both won a ring for Cleveland for the first time ever? Uh, I scored 56 a few days ago. But since you wanted to kind of like remind the world who you are, I'm going to do the same thing again. And he dropped 50 against the Wizards to kind of make himself feel better about the Russell Westbrook trade. <laughs> like, I'm going to take my anger out on you guys because you guys gave me this guy that I have to deal with for the rest of the season on 25 shots. That is really good. Honestly, my rule of thumb for NBA level players is if you shoot on less than half of the field goal attempts to points that you have then you're golden. And the efficiency that he did it at was sublime. 18 for 25 to score 50 on the 11th of March. And then your favorite player, Kevin Durant, the ruthless Slim Reaper, scored 53 on the 13th of March on 37 field goal attempts, which is way too much and by far the most out of everyone here. KD, I mean, come on, he just came off an injury, he shot 4 for 13 from free, we're gonna cut him some slack, it's all good, he still has it in him, it wasn't one of his best nights, but hey, he's a professional scorer, if he wants to go and get it, he will, even if it's on 37 shots. And then your boy Cat, which I'm super happy for. Honestly, this guy deserves everything that he's ever gotten and then some. Scores 60 points against the Spurs and 32 points in the third quarter. That's the fifth highest in NBA history. After Klay Thompson's insane quarters, back in the day he was Klay Thompson. Cat just reminded us all that he is the best shooting big man. He went 7 for 11 on threes and 19 for 31 from the field for a career-high 60 points on March 14th. And then the following day on the 15th of March, Kyrie matched that for 60 points of his own. And it was actually the first time in NBA history that there was back-to-back 60-point -back games. Fun facts. And uh, my guy Kyrie did it on insane efficiency, only missing 11 shots, going for 20 of 31 from the field and 8 for 12 from 3. And basically getting his career high and the franchise nets high as being a part-time player. This guy is nuts. And then the best player in the NBA, Sadiq Bey, went for 51 against the Magic again. <laughs> oh, man. The Magic just have been getting it to them, hey? 27 shots, 17 for 27, 10 threes. 10 for 14 from 3, scoring 51, 
showing everyone how he is still. <laughs> nah, he, Sadiq Bey just got like, he was on one, you know? He just wanted to tell the world that Detroit's still relevant. And he was like, okay, you know how everyone's been going for 50-point games? I'm going to join the party real quick. So yeah, that's basically how the NBA has been in a scoring frenzy in the last few weeks, having more 50-point games than in the past 60 seasons, which is insane. And individual star players have been taking more shots in games, scoring 35-plus per game, along with the points uh, that I mentioned with the 50-plus point frenzy thing. With a lot of other 35 and 40 plus point performances over the last few games of the season to basically let everyone know that they're here and they're not willing to back down as the playoffs are right around the corner and everyone is so excited to cover, look at them and just watch NBA playoff basketball because it doesn't get better than that. Let's be real. And if you're still here, I would like to think that you would agree with me because Otherwise, you wouldn't listen to a someone rambling about basketball for 45 minutes with the playoffs right around the corner unless you actually cared. So for those of you who are still here, I'd like to leave the last few minutes to dedicate it to a personal development section to work on yourself and make yourself better because honestly, I believe in today's world that society pushes people for unrealistic places and eventual destinations to be and people once in a while need to kind of sit back relax and meditate and kind of understand that they are running at their own pace they are not competing with anyone they are in this own marathon that is not a sprint and they should be taking stuff at their own pace and basically working with themselves and not overloading themselves to kind of push themselves to do stuff to burn out at the end rather than wanting to achieve everything that they want. A good idea to do stuff like that is to incorporate a schedule and a list of goals and a routine to get to the goals that you want to get to. A good idea to make sure you don't fall off track is to have a vision board to put everything that you want to have on by a specific time and then work out a detailed schedule, routine, or plan to get to that point. And you have to make sure that it's an achievable plan because if you don't, then you're going to burn out too early and then you're going to kind of spiral back into the place that you wanted to leave in the first place. I really think that motivation and personal growth is important, but you cannot do that without being productive and true to yourself and realize what your true potential and limits are at the same time. It's always good to be a really ambitious person and strive for greatness and for the best, but it's also really important to realize that every person has their limits and even though the sky's the limit for people that are just starting out, you need to realize that what you are accomplishing or aiming to accomplish needs the hard work to be put in after and the consistency and the time for it to brew, for it to become the vision that you want it to become one day. Therefore, if you are trying to make something happen overnight, trust me, that's not going to work. You need to put in the time, the effort, the research, 
and the proven methods and consistency from your end to try to make sure that it's going to work no matter what you want to do. If you are in the beginning of your life and you're trying to make something happen, then you need to schedule how you're going to do that. If you are at the middle or latter ends of your life and you are trying to get somewhere else, you are trying to do something that you've never tried before, you need to make sure that it's within your scope of abilities and within your actual accessibility to do so. Because if you put too much and overload yourself, burning out will make you think that you are never capable of doing it in the first place. However, everything is good in moderation. And it's really important to emphasize that you have to follow something that you want to do step by step and not overload yourself because, as I mentioned, if you feel like you're approaching this new goal of yours with a lifestyle shift, then you're actually going to work towards it and accomplish it in due time. However, if you're looking at that new thing that you're trying to get to in more of a, hey, let's get this done right now, then you're going to basically burn yourself out and relapse to the place that you wanted to get out of in the first place. So it's really important for people to kind of understand that. And what makes me come out and say this to you guys is that I've been wanting to do a lot recently and I've been finding myself kind of overloaded in terms of wanting to get a few positions I'm looking at for future roles I'm interested in in terms of a career opportunity and at the same time I'm looking at a lot of side hustles to pursue it to try to widen and broaden my horizons so it's really important to kind of find that balance in between to kind of want to assess your life the best possible scenarios that you see yourself having and the way you do that is by setting up a routine and by actually writing down what you want to get done, your plans to getting it done, and the timeline you plan on doing that in. So, I know that wasn't a lot because I wanted to cover a lot of what was in the NBA for the past few weeks. So, I have a very detailed list of my personal development stuff that I want to get into next week. And I really hope you guys tune in for that because honestly... Um, if you want to get started on something or if you want to end up somewhere, if you're in the latter stages of your career or life or whatever the case may be, honestly, I think that there's something in this for everyone in terms of wanting to get better and expand and unleash your full potential. So please tune in next week to kind of get my full scoop on that part of it because the NBA's regular season is kind of coming to a close. So I will be touching on the other few games that are wrapping up the season in the next week episode and getting into the personal development section a little bit in more detail. And then we're going to be kind of doing the same format when we started off when come playoff time. We're going to be focusing the beginning three-fourths of the podcast based on the playoff basketball taking place or the play-in to start. And then the last quarter on how to get better and unleash your entire potential. So thank you again for tuning in and I'll see you guys next week. Till then, bye. You know you made it.